My name is Jimmy. I'm one of the pastors here. If you have a Bible, please open it to John chapter 18. John chapter 18 is where we will be this morning. For you had a Merry Christmas yesterday. It was a joy for my family to gather, think about the riches of Christ and His birth, and enjoy a day of family and fellowship. I talked to many of you. Thank you for the text. I love each of you. Thank you for your kind words, and Merry Christmas to each of you. So we turn to John chapter 18 this morning. Uh, turn our attention a little bit to really uh, dating back to the 4th century. Uh, uh, the Apostles' Creed is, is one of the earliest and most important confessions of the Christian church. It provides really undeniable proof of a shared Orthodox faith that is amongst the church for, from the very beginning. And it it exposits the foundational core of, of Christianity containing its affirmations, its and spectacular eternal truth of who God is and who he is, what He has come to do in Christ. And very interesting, in the Apostles' Creed, there are two human figures from history listed. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus, which seems to make sense to us. The second, though, is Pontius Pilate. The opening line of the creed reads, I believe in God the Father, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, why would the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, be included in this most important historic creed of the church? kind of odd, especially given the fact that Pilate was a, a political lightweight, honestly. He was ambitious, mid-level governor who was not even really popular amongst the Romans. He was known more for his failures in politics than his successes. And this explains why his jurisdiction was over the Jews. Nobody wanted that job. And yet, all of us know his name today. In fact, you would be hard-pressed to find someone who hasn't heard of Pontius Pilate. To put this into perspective, maybe, say, 2,000 years from now, you were teaching in the public school regarding the 20th century. You'd expect students to know, know names like Winston Churchill, Muhammad Ali, Martin Luther King Jr. But what if they knew names like Todd Gloria and Gavin Newsom? It'd be kind of odd, right? It'd be kind of weird. So why Pontius Pilate? Answering that question really gets at the heart of the Christmas story. Because Pilate's popularity really has nothing to do with Pilate. It has everything to do with what Pilate represents and the role he sadly played in redemptive history. All of which boils down to one single conversation he had with the Lord Jesus in John chapter 18 we're going to consider this morning. Now this Christmas season, we've been considering this theme, that, that we've been considering the, the coming of Christ, and particularly we've been doing that through three kind of essential movements, His birth depicted through the cradle, His, uh, his death depicted through the cross, and uh, His rule and reign depicted through the crown. From Galatians chapter 4 last Sunday, and from Luke chapter 2 on Christmas Eve, we've considered the first two themes. This morning though, I want us to think about on this final Sunday of 2021, I want us to consider Jesus' birth, His coming, uh, from a scene just hours before His death and how it relates to His kingship. 
In John chapter 18, an exchange between Pontius Pilate and Jesus takes place regarding the kingdom of God and the nature of truth itself. And this exchange will lead Pilate to ask one of the most important and essential foundation questions of life. What is truth? What is truth? And I want to show you how we should answer that question, how the text leads us to answer that question in this statement, that Jesus came to disclose the truth of his kingship and the way we can take part in his kingdom. So I want these verses in, Math, in John chapter 18 to show us today that Jesus came to disclose the truth of his kingship and the way we can take part in his kingdom. Begin reading in verse 33 of John chapter 18. I'm going to read down to verse 40. We pick up in the middle of a, a busy scene and we'll unpack it, the details of that in a minute. But verse 33 we begin. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or do the others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at, 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 at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Father, we pause after the reading of the text. A text, Lord, where we find an exchange between the fountain of truth himself, Jesus, and this Roman governor who represents the fountain of falsehood of this life. And the conversation is about truth. About the kingdom of God. The kingdom of man. And the necessity of knowing your Son, our Savior, the King. God, it's a reminder in a text like this that without spiritual eyes, we can see this world, live in this world, and miss the entire reason for what this world is all about. So God, I pray you would give us eyes to see, hearts to hear this text today, to hear the words of Christ, our King, the author of truth. And this Christmas season to know with assurity where we stand and what kingdom our feet are fixed in and whom our King is. I'd got our time. In Jesus' name, Amen. Can this text takes place just hours before Jesus' his death. He's just left the presence of the high priest where he was beaten, where he was mocked, where he was ridiculed. Now the, the, the Son of God is he's escorted to the governor's headquarters where the Jewish leadership will request for his execution. 
Um, it's a fascinating scene, really with a fascinating exchange between this Roman governor Pontius Pilate and Jesus of Nazareth regarding his very kingship and his relationship to truth. Before Pilate can converse with Jesus, he, he has to hear the, the accusations by the Jewish leadership. But this has to happen outside the headquarters. Look back at verse 28 where it explains there that the, these pious men, these Jewish pious men, w- would not enter the presence of the Gentiles during the Passover. For that would lead to defilement. Of course, it's perfectly fine to bribe uh, uh, Jesus, to bribe Judas, I should say, to wrongfully arrest Jesus or to falsely accuse a man and seek crucifixion. That's not a problem at all. But to enter the presence of the Gentiles, it's no way. They're too religious, too holy for such a thing. Now, to understand this text, we must be aware, really, of the, the ironic hypocrisy which drips from this section of Scripture. It's everywhere, which serves as a warning to all of us. I say it often, I, it's worth repeating that religion can, in fact, serve the greatest hindrance to a person understanding and embracing the truth when religion is turned in on itself. The aim of religion is to, is to worship. Worship the one true living God. That demands both humility and honest self-awareness of our sin and constant need of grace. When such is present, religious acts, religion can act in accordance with truth. It serves truth in that way. But due to our sin, religion often becomes turned in on itself. Humility is replaced with pride and Dependence on grace is trampled by self-righteousness. And when that takes place, the pursuit of truth is exchanged for a lie. The Jewish leadership here sadly represents such a lie. So after hearing the accusation, Pilate approaches Jesus with a pointed question, trying to lure him into saying something worthy of crucifixion. He asks, are you the king of the Jews? The question recorded in all four Gospels. And a question which presumes the charges just leveled by the Sanhedrin. Now Pilate most certainly asked this in a contemptuous manner. In other words, you, a king of the Jews? You, this bloodied, weak-looking man with no army or possessions? You're supposedly claiming to be king? You are the one they say is threatening Rome's power and needing execution? The charges against Jesus presented by the Jewish leadership, they were not really theological in nature here. They were political, for sure. They had to do with power. Again, evidence of their pride and self-righteousness. Jesus responds to Pilate's question very importantly with the question of his own. Notice the irony here. The one who supposedly is that the mercy of Pilate's stand in trial is in fact asking the real question in this text. The prisoner stands as the judge here. Verse 34, Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Jesus is probing Pilate's heart, challenging the motive behind his question. In other words, are you really interested in my kingdom? And what type of king I am, Pilate? Or are you just parroting the Sanhedrin's accusations? The reality is in the pursuit of truth, intent always takes priority over content. And intent, in fact, determines the availability of truth itself. The truth of God and the nature of His kingdom is staring Pilate in the face. 
Yet the prideful, ill intent of his heart denies him access to it. If you're not a believer this morning, and you are contemplating the things of Christianity, I want to exhort you. Ask the honest questions, the hard questions. Christianity can handle whatever difficult question you have if they come from a heart honestly seeking truth. To approach truth solely with the intent to reject truth is a sure way to remove your inability to grapple with truth itself. Christianity is not an idea or a theory to be considered. It's a person to be embraced, to know and to embrace the Lord Jesus. So now this question, Pilate he fires back indignantly at Jesus, poses, exposes his intent. Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Pilate is saying that the royal claim of any Jew means absolutely nothing to him personally. Like he could care less about contemplating uh, the claims of this man before him. Pilate is in essence saying, are you my king? Why should I care? Again, the irony is thick, for Pilate is saying these words to the one he in fact owes the very, his very existence to. Jesus now answers this question in verse 36. But he does so in a way that removes any possibility of offense against the Roman Empire. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So what we find here is both an affirmation and denial in Jesus' answer. He affirms both his kingship and his kingdom, but he denies it being of this world. Now, world's an important word in the book of John. It has a very pointed meaning. By this world, he's referring to, to the, crea- the created realm infected by sin and rebellion against its creator. It's the realm of persistent darkness and John. The rebellion and spiritual blindness and sin. Jesus' kingdom and throne do not find their source in the origin of this world. It's not from here, Jesus says. His rule and reign is of an entirely different nature. All the kingdoms of this world preserve themselves by violence and force. Jesus' kingdom is defined by entirely different terms. Therefore, it poses no real threat to the pomp of Rome. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. It's not tied to any geographical location, singular culture, or national expression, nor any political entity on this earth. None at all. This does not mean that His kingdom is not active in the world, or that it's completely separate from the world. It's just that its origin, its power, and its victory cannot be defined by the terms of this world. Neither will it be opposed by any opposition of this world. Jesus most certainly is a king, and he most certainly has a kingdom, but not in any order of this world. This text presents us with another good reminder that as Christians, our feet are fixed within, we might say, two two kingdoms. We're citizens of Christ's kingdom who currently possess, though, an earthly residence in the kingdom of man. We, And as citizens of this kingdom, we call it America, we should seek to affect and and effect the good of our nation, 
But we do so knowing that while we have one foot fixed in this kingdom, we have another foot fixed in another. Right? Firmly fixed. Entire, in a kingdom that has an entirely different nature, order, and power structure, we must never blur the two. We should expect this kingdom to shake, to crack, to crumble, and yes, even one day, sadly, it will fall, like every other kingdom of this world. That says nothing regarding God's kingdom. His throne is sure, His throne is steadfast, His throne is is secure. And our citizenship in His kingdom is as sure and as stable as His kingship is. So after clarifying in a negative sense, Jesus really now defines the nature of His kingship positively in verses 37 and 38. And I want to look at two broad headings to kind of look at these two verses in the rest of our time. The first one is this. The uni- I want to see the uniqueness of this king's coming in verse 37. So Pilate spouts off in verse 37, So you are a king, proving how little he understands thus far. Jesus responds, You say that I am a king. Maybe your translation reads affirmatively, You are correct, right, I am a king. But that needs clarification, right? And Jesus explains how to understand his kingdom rightly. Uh, begins with understanding the uniqueness of his identity, beginning with the uniqueness of his birth. Of his birth, He says, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I have come into the world. Jesus provides here an intentional, theologically rich statement touching on the nature of his birth, of his incarnation. It echoes back to Isaiah 9, we've read here over the last month, where it, promised that, where it was promised that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Jesus, not the creation of Jesus. For this purpose I was born, that speaks to Jesus' humanity. And for this purpose I have come into the world, that speaks to His deity. Jesus entered the world by way of a birth. Or as Isaiah 9 states, a son was given by way of a child being born. On that quiet night in Bethlehem, over 2,000 years ago, Nothing of Jesus' nature, personhood, or character was created. While a baby was born, the eternal Son of God entered this world. Now, I, one of the things I enjoy doing at Christmas time is comparing this year's Christmas card to previous Christmas years. Sometimes there's things you don't like about yourself in that, but I'll leave it there. But I love to see how my kids have grown, right? You get to see how they've changed over a year, especially when they're going through teenage years. They tend to change a lot in one year. But last year's photo was very different from where we are now. Last year's photo included me at 38 years old holding a two-month-old. And it was my kid, which was shocking to me. I remember taking that photo and looking at it and thinking, that is, is that my kid? It was that crazy. But the funny thing is now a year later, I mean even a week later after Titus was born, a month later, but a year now later, I can't imagine life without him. Seems as though like I don't even remember what that was like to have a family and not have Titus involved in it. It's just so natural. Uh, but it is mind-blowing that my wife and I were married for 18 years, have three other children, and we knew nothing of this child's existence that is now so intricately a part of our life. Nothing of his personhood, character, or personality existed about 20 months ago. Nothing of yours did either before your birth. While you were, 
While, you're, while we know that our soul and our personhood will exist forever beyond the grave, the mind-blowing reality is that there was a moment for each of us in this room where we did not exist. And not so for Jesus. His birth was much different. There was never been a moment when the Son of God did not exist. He has forever existed as the second person of the Godhead. He has forever shared in the co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existence of the full Godhead. Jesus' birth is not a coming into being of a new person, but a coming into the world of an infinite Son. Micah 5.2 says it like this, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. The origin of Jesus is from eternity past. The birth of Jesus was the coming into the world of the eternal God Himself in the person of His Son. God became flesh in the person of Jesus. He entered into this fallen, rebellious world to forever institute His eternal kingdom. The miracle of Christmas goes well beyond the virgin birth. It's that this child born in Bethlehem was a person who existed from eternity past. In John 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, a clear reference to Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is not a creature. He was the agent through whom everything else was created. John, verse 14 of John 1, the same chapter there. We go on to read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, and we have beheld His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. There is a uniqueness to Jesus without which we cannot truly, rightfully understand. He is the eternal King of glory who chose to set His glory aside and be born as a man. To try and understand Jesus by placing Him along any side, any other person would be to miss Jesus altogether. He is the co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent Son who has come into the world. And He has done so by being born as a baby in Bethlehem. If Jesus' claims are to believe, if faith is to be invested in Him, then the uniqueness of His identity must be embraced. Because the uniqueness of the King... This king informs the purpose of his mission, which is where verse 38 sends us to. So the purpose of the king's coming next. Jesus goes on in verse 37 to provide the purpose of his coming. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness or to testify to the truth. The king has come to testify to the truth. The structure of this statement points to the fact that Jesus' kingdom is one of truth. And as presented here, truth has to be understood in more than just an intellectual sense. Truth, as spoken of here, is in reference to nothing less than the self-disclosure of God in Jesus and the salvation He alone provides. Jesus is identical with truth. Everything He did was wonderfully right. Everything He said was perfectly true. The life He lived in the flesh was the perfect manifestation of everything keeping with ultimate reality. To reject Jesus is to willfully choose to govern your life by a lie. 
Jesus is the truth because he embodies the full and final revelation of God, the origin of truth itself. As Hebrews 1 says, he is the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature. God is the author of all truth and wills to make it known. And he has in his son. In Jesus, we find perfect holiness, matchless kindness, unending grace. This is how Jesus can say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. But Jesus is also truth because he alone provides the way to the Father. John fourteen six, Jesus speaking to Thomas famously says what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, except through me. So you cannot have the Father if you reject the Son. Because you're trying to get to the Father by way of a lie. If you do not love and embrace Jesus, then you cannot say you know God. And you cannot know eternal life. For this is eternal life, that, you know, that, that, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Christian philosopher... An apologist, Francis Schaeffer, used to speak of a, used to use a phrase that's kind of interesting. He used to speak of true truth. It's a funny way to talk, right? It's like saying beautiful beauty. Maybe, husband, you should write that to your wife sometime, but it's kind of a weird statement. Beautiful beauty or, or right righteousness. What does it mean to be true truth? Is Francis Schaeffer stuttering? Now, he was making a point that for truth to be true, it must be objective. It must be outside of us. It cannot be contingent upon our feelings and our opinions and our thoughts. It informs our feelings, our opinions and our thoughts. He's stating the difference between objective truth and what we might call subjective truth or relative truth. Reality necessitates the existence of truth outside of us, objective truth. There must be truth truth for things to be true and jesus is saying he has come to testify to that reality that god alone is the origin of true truth and his kingdom is the kingdom of truth christmas marks the event in redemptive history when the true truth was born in this world truth is tied to a king we see it in the text and truth is tied to a kingdom and neither are of this world jesus says All the kingdoms of this world are bound by the same problem. Same problem we're bound by. Sin. Mankind is bound by sin. We are sinners. We are selfish selfish creatures bent on rebelling against the God who created us. Every kingdom of this world is simply the expression of man's sin. Every kingdom of this world is simply the expression of man's heart. And because of our sin, we deserve the just condemnation of our God. In His perfect holiness, He would be completely just to pour out His wrath on us and be done with us. Wipe His hands clean. At Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God did something. He sent His Son. The King stepped down from glory to enter our world to institute His kingdom. He did so not by pomp and power of this world, though. He came not with an army, not with a grand entrance, but rather... The simple birth of a child. And this child demonstrated himself like no other. Jesus lived the life we should have lived without ever sinning. But then he did something extraordinary. 
This king went to the cross. This king willingly allowed himself to be subjected to the kingdom of man. And to die upon a criminal's cross. Not for his sins, but ours. And then he rose again. Demonstrating himself to be truly the king over all creation. And by so doing, he established forever his kingdom on new terms. It's not based upon geographical location. It's not based upon a cultural expression, an ethnic makeup, a religious activity, or any other work of man. It's based upon the king's voice. Jesus goes on, look at verse 37. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Hearing and obeying Jesus are are not the same as affirming correct ideas. We know that because the religious leaders. The religious leaders were very precise in their theological ideas. They were very clear on their religious assertions. Yet they were the ones who crucified true truth. They were the ones who crucified the Lord of truth. Being of the truth involves listening to Jesus' voice. And Jesus does not mean that only certain people came within sound of His voice. What He is saying is that Amongst those who came within the sound of his voice, only some heard his words as true. Only some believed and embraced truth and gained eternal life. It's this group that is of the truth. It's this group which gains access to his kingdom. The illustration for this takes us back to Jesus' response to, to Pilate's original question. He says, Are you king of the Jews? Pilate asked. Remember Jesus' response. Basically, are you asking that question of your own accord? Are you asking it honestly? Or is this just the ridiculous charge from the Jews and you're parroting it for them? Are you really seeking truth, Pilate? Do you really want to understand the glory of my kingdom? Or are you just playing the part? Is this a humble, honest, Godward question? Or prideful, man-centered response? Pilate's response here in verse 38 sadly answers that question. He turns to Jesus, no doubt cynically, and says, and asks the question, what is truth? We know it's not an honest question. How? Because Pilate doesn't even wait for a response. Pilate asked the embodiment of truth, the question, what is truth? And Pilate didn't even stick around to get an answer. How 21st century is Pontius Pilate? We live in a culture where truth is trampled in the streets. We live in a culture where supposedly we get to make up our own truth. That's impossible, right? As soon as someone's truth says your truth isn't true, we cry foul ball. Jesus cares nothing of a subjective truth that makes people feel good. He's come to disclose the true truth regarding his kingdom. It's a kingdom that will judge every person. It's a kingdom that will will judge every proposition ever made of truth. You want to know why Pilate's name make it in the Apostles' Creed? 
One of the main reasons is verse 38. You hear the irony of it. What is truth? He never even waits to get an answer. But then walks outside and says, it says here, after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So Pilate has no idea. He's never said a more truer and a more eternally significant statement than what he's saying right here. I find no guilt in him. Pilate judges rightly the man who will judge him and the one who will judge all of us eternally. And he doesn't even know it. Are you of the truth this morning? Do you hear Jesus' voice this morning? Do you hear His words from John chapter 3? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. It goes on. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The irony of Pilate's words are that he actually affirms the words of Jesus here. Pilate was guilty. The Jewish leaders were guilty. Rome was guilty. All of humanity is guilty. We are all guilty. There's only one whom guilt is not found. It's Jesus. The eternal Son born as King. Who would take our guilt upon Himself on the cross. He would bear in His body the penalty we deserve for our sin. And He would rise with the words of eternal life. We are to turn from our sin and believe in Him. The true Son, the Savior of the world. And by doing so, we gain access to His kingdom. John 8, 31, Jesus said to the Jews who who had believed in Him, If you abide in My word, you are truly My disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Are you of the truth this morning? You know that with assurance this morning as we close out this year. Do you know the words of eternal life? Have you believed in the Son? Or are you living your life by lie? For those of us who are believers this morning, this text tells us a few things. The days of, of, of us groping in the darkness are over. The days of us wondering what our existence is all about is over. As believers, we're not, in, we're not in pursuit of the truth as the world sees it. We found truth. We have truth. We know truth. We walk in the truth. Because we belong to the truth in Christ. Our aim is to understand, to apply, to love, to proclaim the truth. Jesus. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth 
how much more should we as his followers bear witness to him the truth? Jesus came to disclose the truth of his kingship and by so doing the way in which we can take part in his kingdom. I want us to reflect, pause, reflect on this text and you'd ask where you are. A couple categories we could be in. You could be this morning walking maybe in religion but not in the truth. Believing a lie that you can earn your way to God. Believing a lie that you can fix the problem of your soul, which you cannot do. You need to repent and trust Christ this morning. Believe truth this morning for the first time. Embrace the Savior this morning. And know what it means to walk in the truth this morning. Also be a believer this morning. If you honestly look back at 2021 and say, yeah, I know the truth. And yes, I've walked in the truth. But I've allowed this world to deceive me a lot this year. I've lived my life and I've ridden the roller coaster of this last year. Not as though my feet are firmly fixed in the kingdom of God. But as though my feet are fixed on some wobbly shaking kingdom that could fall any minute. And I would fall with it. We need to confess that false belief today. We serve a king, a true king, the real king. Whose throne is secure and steadfast. He came, he was born. He died, he rose again. Solidifying the security of his kingdom forever. We walk in the truth. We are people of the truth. And we proclaim the truth. Father, quiet our hearts, focus our minds. To think about this most important question, maybe three of the most important words ever asked. What is truth? God, might you bring honesty to our hearts. What we all know to be true in our own hearts is we are not true in ourselves. Apart from Christ, we are a lie. We live a lie. We speak lies. And we need truth. God, I thank you that you sent truth to us in your Son. God, I pray we would see with spiritual eyes this morning the beauty and the the blessing that it is to in this world around us to know truth. And God, give us a singular focus to live for truth, to walk in the truth, to be an example of truth, to proclaim the truth of who you are. We do serve a king, and he, he does have a kingdom that is unshakable. But entrance to his kingdom comes by believing, obeying his voice. So God, allow that voice to lead us today. And God, as we sing this last song of this year, together as a church, we sing all glory be to Christ. God, I pray it wouldn't just be words that come out of our mouths, but truths that come into our minds, that go deep into our hearts, and then come out as a confession from our heart. 
All glory be to Christ. And God, help our lives to reflect that truth, to live in accordance to that truth. We love you, Lord. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray.